This is The Guardian. Fjellreven. 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 Wie auch immer du es aussprichst, Fjellreven ist eine Outdoor-Marke der anderen Art aus Schweden, die seit Jahrzehnten Nein zu faulen Kompromissen und flüchtigen Trends sagt und gleichzeitig hochwertige und besonders langlebige Ausrüstung herstellt. Erfahre mehr und besuche uns auf fjellreven.de. Gegenseitiger Respekt ist die Basis für ein gutes Gespräch. Im Netz ist das alles andere als selbstverständlich. Und woher zur Hölle willst du das wissen? So eine vorlotte Bitch wie dich sollte man an den Herd fesseln, dir dein Handy wegnehmen und... und wir feiern dich dafür, dass du dich als Frau nicht unterkriegen lässt. Keine Angst, du bist hier nicht allein. Wir alle entscheiden, ob wir das Netz dem Hass überlassen. Werde Teil der Telekom-Initiative gegen Hass im Netz und setze ein Zeichen. Telekom. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. The Champions League returns with a goalkeeper scoring a header in injury time. What else do you want? Uh, we'll start the San Siro. Newcastle grinding out slash getting away with a point in Milan. Also in the group of death, PSG have a comfortable 2-0 win over Dortmund, including one of those maddening handball penalties. Can't wait to talk about that one. Then there's Manchester City given a little fright by Red Star Belgrade before turning it on again. Celtic, who don't have a great record with 11 men on the pitch, so ending up with nine in final isn't the best plan. And Barcelona, how nice to see Jalfa Felix enjoying playing football. Also today, a bit of love for Preston and Ipswich. A Viagra correction, your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hi, Max. Hello, Lars Sivertson. Good morning, guys. And hello, Nikki Bandini. Morning. Well, let's start with Group F then, the, the group of death featuring uh, PSG Newcastle. AC Milan, Borussia Dortmund uh, at the San Siro, Nicky. Newcastle got a goalless draw. I-, I wonder, it's a good point for Newcastle, especially considering how that game went. Milan must be kicking themselves because they missed a lot of chances. Yeah, I think the, the the media action at least has been very much just kicking Rafael Leal rather than kicking themselves because, of course, of that back heel in which he kicked himself rather than put the ball in the net having done the, the hard work going across goal. I've sort of been struggling this morning thinking about this game because I absolutely sort of see this from the the Newcastle perspective. You go away in Europe in in the toughest group, absolutely like the old sort of cliches hold true, right? If you go through this group winning all your home games, then if you can get any points away from home, you're probably going to go through. So they've gone away from home to a team that was in the Champions League semi-final last year and, and they've got a point. But I'm not sure I sort of at the same time In my head, at least, it doesn't feel as bleak for Milan as I think you could sort of spin that on the other side. I think a team that got walloped 5-1 in the derby at the weekend played a a very good game against Newcastle. Clearly, if you play this game 10 times over, Milan are going to win it more often than not because the expected goals were like 2-0, basically. And they took 25 shots. And and normally, even even if they're not great shots, normally when you take 25 shots, one of them goes in. So... Milan were unlucky. They um, they did outplay Newcastle. I'm not convinced that, even though it is the group of death, even though all of these teams are good, I'm not convinced that any of them is as good as we might think they are. I'm not convinced that PSG, who are what, like fifth in Ligue 1 right now, are the best PSG we've seen in recent years. I'm, I'm certainly not convinced that this Jude Bellingham, this Dortmund are. 
untouchable. So to some extent, after, again, the context of got thrashed 5-1 at the weekend, after getting thumped by Inter, it's, it wasn't it wasn't discouraging to see Milan play like that. Um, but of course, when you create all those chances and don't win, you're going to feel like it was a missed opportunity. Mm. What does that What does it make it the group of? It's just a, <laughs> the group of really not very well. Is, is, that, is that what it is? It's, hard, it's, it's hard still to the toughest group. Yeah. It's still the toughest group. I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm just saying that if this was PSG a couple of years ago, I'd think about them differently. If this was Dortmund... I mean, even literally just last season, I'd probably think of them differently. So I, I'm just not convinced any of these teams is as good as our mental image of them is. Yeah. And actually, I don't know what you make, Barry, of, of Newcastle's performance. But it seems sort of in keeping with what they've been doing in the Premier League, which is just not being quite at it. And maybe they, maybe going to the San Siro and their first game back in the Champions League for 20 years, it's kind of fair enough. I don't know if you sort of give them a pass for not being at it. But Newcastle of last year, I think might have, taken that game played that game differently yeah look it's a good result point away from home in the first Champions League game for 20 years or whatever they'd have taken that but I think while they defended quite well they were very poor going forward and didn't do much with the ball and Eddie Howe admitted as much in his post-match press conference he said you know uh, we should have done better with the ball hopefully that will come and that has been a problem for them in the Premier League as well. They were missing the, the two Joes last night, Linton and Willock, and uh, they are key players for Newcastle. Any reports I've read, Nick Pope's performance has been massively hyped up. And while he made quite a lot of saves, I didn't think any of them were particularly brilliant. Uh, they were fairly routine, I would say. Am I being harsh? I don't know. I don't think so. But when you compare his performance, say, to that of the Red Star keeper, who, apart from one howler, was absolutely brilliant, uh, I, I, thought, I didn't think Pope did anything. And I think Newcastle will be happy enough with that point, and Milan will will be very disappointed they didn't take all three. I just think it's a bit, yeah, Baz mentions that there were some absentees, and there were, but I just think... You still had your sort of Guimaraes Tonali midfield there, right? I mean, okay, is is Sean Longstaff such a catastrophic downgrade from Joe Linton that we can no, no longer expect this midfield to function? I don't, I don't think so. So I, I, I would be unnerved by just how little they were able to create against the Milan team. That's you know, it's clearly a good football team, but did get tonked at the at the weekend. Like they're not impenetrable at all was a performance that worried me a little bit, I have to say. Whatever, whatever we sort of line we take about it, yeah, point away in your first Champions League game in ages is fine, but they were not good. And I did enjoy the sort of, uh, the endless optimism of, of, of Joe Cole on, on the coverage at halftime when Milan made a change. Thought, well, you know, that could be a good sign, you know, that the opposition coach feels he has to make a change already. I was like, well, the change was he brought on Florenzi for, for Calabria because he's realized, like, this, these guys aren't attacking. These guys aren't doing anything with the ball, so we can put on a much more attacking player at fullback. They just offered almost nothing, and I don't think the mystique of the San Siro and away in the Champions League... You know, they shouldn't be that much less good at football than Milan. They just shouldn't, uh, based on what they did in the Premier League last season, based on the money they spent, based on all of it. So a little bit worried about Newcastle at this point. I was reading Louise Taylor's match report this morning and the comments underneath it, and quite a few Newcastle fans seem to take grave exception 
to her, I thought, perfectly <laughs> obvious observation that this was a one-sided game and as if it was in some way disparaging uh, of, of Newcastle's performance. But it was a very one-sided game. And Eddie Howe also, in his post-match press conference, said that they tried to be aggressive. And I didn't see any evidence of them trying to be aggressive. I, I thought they set out their stall. We will be happy with a point, and a point is what they got. I definitely feel like there's going to be some Newcastle fans tuning into this. Who are going to I, I, I doubt it. <laughs> so, well, maybe not. But are going to rightfully feel like, hey, look, we're back in the Champions League after a long time and we just got a good result away to San Siro and might have been expecting a bit more sort of enthusiasm for their, for their performance. And I, I think you can you can highlight things about it that are good. I mean, I, I think the the two fullbacks, um, Kieran Trippier and Dan Byrne, were both, were both very effective in, in their defending. I thought the whole team actually did a really good job with just shutting down those shooting opportunities on the edge of the box. There were a lot of block shots, like seven block shots in the game um, for, for Newcastle. Um, I'm not sure that I loved the way um, Eddie Howe approached the game because they really gave up the width to Milan early in that game. And you saw that Mike Mannion at the beginning was just spreading the ball out to the two fullbacks, Calabria and, and Hernandez, over and over again. And, and and that was very effective. In fact, even though I, I see what Lars is saying about Florenzi being an attacking substitution, I, I'm not sure I loved that for Milan. I thought um, they looked better with Calabria on the pitch. I think there's, there's there's good in there at the same time as saying, but it wasn't a very adventurous performance. They didn't really sort of push other than one shot in the 94th minute, whatever it was. They didn't really push to score at all. And I think having seen what Inter did to Milan, because Milan... We know how Milan want to play. They want to play in those fast transitions, which is how they created some of their best chance, how they get that layout chance, um, which he doesn't take. But they do sometimes doing that, commit to this high press and and leave those centre-backs vulnerable. Now, I thought Tomori had a really good game for Milan, but Malik Chiao is, is definitely susceptible to pace. We saw that against Inter at the weekend. And I think you could play into that more aggressively than Newcastle did. Just because you're the, the away team doesn't mean you have to come there with with no attempt to, to try to get um, a goal out of the game. I'd like to stress before we move on, the reason I'm so critical of Newcastle is because I take this team seriously. Like, they're not... They were really good last season. Really good. They're not a mid-table team who have fluked their way into the Champions League and need to go away and hang on for dear life. They were one of the best teams in the Premier League last season. And I do expect a little bit more because of that. I do apologise if I'm too negative. No, that's okay. Uh, one of my uh, favourite bits was when... Olivier Giroud was sort of put through and then you were thinking, oh, this man is not, he's never been fast, but he isn't now. This is how I feel when I'm on a ball pitch. Um, a friend of the pod, Tarek Panjo, set the internet ablaze with a tweet saying, a lot of talk about Newcastle facing a tough task in Champions League Open away in Milan. I would argue the financial power of the Premier League is such now that Brentford at the weekend was tougher. It would be great for the football world if it was different. And I, I wondered... I got accused, Nicky, this week of something that I'd never heard of before, Prem face by an, an Italian, it's a very angry Italian journalist who, who yelled at me for sort of saying Inter Milan's group is not particularly interesting. I mean, it's not Just on paper. Just in the street or, or on the no, internet? No, no, it was on the, the internet. the way you said it, it was an angry Italian <laughs> yeah. yelling at you. That seemed like yeah. something that might have happened in your... Yeah, no, no, it was definitely on the internet. And I was just sort of saying Inter's group is not as exciting as this group on paper, right? And I got yelled at. And I wonder, I just wonder if that is a thing, you know, like if there is a feeling that, amongst Italian football experts, or just generally, you know, because the Premier League has got all the money, that this idea of Prem face, had you heard of this? Is this a thing? 
I think you get um, both feelings quite strongly in Italy at times. Um, I think it. I think no one highlights the inadequacies of Italian football more um, continuously and honestly, but brutally honestly, than Italian football journalists. I think Italian football journalists are constantly saying, well, we can't keep up with this money spending in in other parts of Europe. We don't have the resources. Our, our stadiums have been neglected. Our clubs haven't run themselves well. Um, the the organisations that, that run football in Italy have, have generally been mismanaged a lot. And, and that gets reported on all the time. Um, and I think there's this sort of concurrent thing um, of um, sometimes feeling like yeah okay but actually like on the pitch the results have still been sometimes very good and and I do think Italian football is having a better moment I do think that all the teams in European finals last season wasn't a total coincidence I do think that um, Inter are right now playing at a level that is right up there with the best teams in Europe I do think that Napoli last season were at their best brilliant I'm not sure if that's going to continue this year for, for various reasons and I do think Milan again, weren't in a Champions League semi-final last week by accident. So I can see why sort of uh, a casual sort of suggestion that, oh, going to San Siro is not as, as daunting as playing Brentford is is pretty taken sort of offhand, is is easy to react to. Like I, I could react to that as well. I also think Brentford have got some... F- Flipping good results in the last year, haven't they? I mean, they've, they've beaten City, so they, they've 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 shown they can be a very good team. But I, I think I disagree with the sentiment. I still think going to San Siro and playing a Champions League semi finalist at what is honestly, and I, I'm not saying this is some, I don't know, some 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 young naive who's who's barely been to anywhere in Europe. I've been to a lot of football stadiums. San Siro, when it is rocking, is one of the loudest places I've ever been in football um, or any sport. So it is it is a different atmosphere to going to Brentford, which is a lovely stadium. I like going to Brentford, but it's not it's not that you hate Brentford. Um, no, it's, it, it, I suppose that's the interesting thing about Brent, Brent, Brentford catching yeah, a lot yeah, of strays yeah. in this show. I, I, I think it, I think it's interesting. It's a very football fan thing when I think about being a lower league fan. Is you know. I can say we're shit, but you can't. You know, like, like, like it's yeah. sort of this thing going like, no, I definitely. can own this. That's all right. I don't mind. You know, Cambridge just had a new badge. You know, our badge is the worst in football. I can say it. But if another fan says, I said, well, hang on a sec. This is our badge. It's for me to say it's shit. It's not for you to say it's shit. I think that's quite an interesting part of, of that discussion. I mean, like on, on the on the money side of it, Max, I mean, Premier League TV revenues now are like almost four times as high as Serie A TV revenues. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not close. It's it's bonkers, the difference now. So so there should be it should be getting harder and harder for Italian clubs to keep up. Just worth mentioning, Newcastle United have said they're deeply concerned after one of their fans was stabbed in Milan on Monday night. A 58 year old was attacked by a group of men in the city centre uh, before the game. Uh, on Tuesday, is in hospital in a stable condition. Uh, also in this group, PSG beat Dortmund 2-0. Um, Mbappe from the penalty spot, a lovely goal from uh, Ashraf Hakimi. An um, interesting part of this game, Lars, is sort of how Luis Enrique is changing PSG's style and how Mbappe fits into that. Because you might imagine the casual observer, call them me, w- would think that without Messi and Neymar, this team would be all about Mbappe. And that isn't necessarily the case. No, I mean, it's really interesting that after a couple of years of sort of occasionally Nasser Khalifi, the big boss at PSG, would come out and say, no more of this superstar circus nonsense. We will be serious now. And then, you know, they kept signing superstar nonsense players. And it just, it, it was, the nonsense continued at full force. It does perhaps look slightly like they might be serious 
about being a proper football team now based on the changes they made to the squad over the summer and going much younger uh, having just one uh, Mediva up front instead of three and 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 just and just kind of putting together a team of, of guys who are actually interested in running around a bit and and sort of working together and these sort of things and that has upsides and downsides. The downsides is you can no longer just give the ball to Neymar and then something will happen. Like they, they're going to have to take more responsibility. But I thought... Give it to Mbappe instead. <laughs> yeah, well, instead you can still give it to Mbappe, so that's good. But I just thought there was a level of just play, players running and fighting for each other and a cohesion to PSG in this game. Even if they didn't play amazingly for 90 minutes, they looked more like a football team than what we're used to saying and, and less like a sort of Paris-based Harlem Globetrotters knockoff. And and I think this is not going to work ten out of ten every time. But but I'm, I have an ominous feeling that our days of relentlessly mocking PSG for being in and may I say it yet again, uh, Kendall Roy's birthday party of football. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I worry that those days are coming to an end. That they're they're turning into a proper football team. And actually, it just really intrigued me looking at this. Mbappe suddenly has everything he wanted because you remember last uh, autumn there was the story doing around that was leaked. About uh, about Mbappe being very unhappy, very unhappy. He'd, he'd taken all the money and he signed the new contract, and then suddenly he was, oh no, uh, I want to play with the, with the tall man like Giroud, uh, and uh, he wanted more of the young French players in the team. And all he has all that now. He has Colomani to play off. He doesn't have to be the number nine anymore, so that's great. He, there, there are younger players. There's sort of French players in the team. Like so, even though he's probably almost definitely leaving. They're now sort of rejigging it into the team that Mbappe apparently has wanted it to be for quite some time. And um, I thought they were pretty good here, I have to say. Just to add on one thing from what Mars said, um, which I think is really striking with this team. Like Marquinhos is the old man of this team at 29. You go through the front half of that team and everyone's 25 or younger. And it's, it's yeah, it's it's real, like, looks like real planning. <laughs> That's not what we want from PSG. Yeah, um, not at all. The penalty. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about this law because I think maybe it is the right decision on a law that is just monumentally shit. But I just cannot understand how anybody would like that to be a penalty, Lars. No, it's stupid. Uh, I'm usually the sort of, uh, oh, what's the defender of the referees and the law say this and blah, blah, blah. It's usually what I do here. But it is just nonsense because I, I understand, yes, sure, theoretically he's making his silhouette slightly bigger and the ball hits him and it has to be loud. But it's like there's no logic in in a low-scoring game where, 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 where a goal has such a huge impact on outcomes to, for that infraction to be penalized by effectively, you know, 80% chance of a goal against. It's completely irrational and unbalanced. doesn't make any sense. I mean, you ask what he's supposed to do. I suppose not have arms. I guess is the thing, or just tape them, tape them to his side, and waddle about like a like a bollard. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate watching that. I specifically with that. <laughs> player. So a lot of people listening, including myself, won't have seen this particular incident. Was it particularly egregious? Well, I would say that the cross comes in. I think it's Mbappe who takes the shot, and Suda is running in, and. Mbappe actually doesn't connect with it that well, but Suda sort of dives to block it as if he was going to. And because he scuffs the shot, it hits his the arm that he's putting down to break his fall, which as far as I understood in the laws was legitimate. You're allowed to break your fall so you don't dislocate your shoulder every time you go to ground. Um, and it does hit his arm and it is going vaguely towards the goal, but it's not on target. And he was about 
two yards away? I don't know. And that, I think it's happening so fast. And I just don't think anybody would care if you just played on. Like I just think everyone would just go, oh, occasionally the ball hits your arm. It's totally fine. Or every time it hits your arm, it's a free kick, but it's not a penalty. Yeah, that's um, the one. Indirect free kick in the box all the time. In, mm. Unleash the chaos. <laughs> but because of VAR, there's clearly issues with the handball law and the more they try to fix it the worse it gets and completely so what can you do <laughs> i mean they will attempt to fix it again and it will become even worse yeah I, I will concede that this is there's an element of var making this problem worse because before the referee could just look at that and go well that probably hit his arm but I mean, whatever uh, yeah. and 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 if we catch it on the highlights afterwards and say it hit his arm people well it happened very fast it was hard for the referee to see i mean who knows there was this sort of even though I, I, I would still be a smart arse and think if the laws of the game are relying on the referee not seeing what happens for them to work, then the laws of the game have a problem. But but at least there was a safety valve of nonsense there. Yeah, but I mean, I would say, I, I, I don't think, I, I think five years ago, it would be universal, that is never a penalty. But because fans and people and pundits are getting used to them being given, now people are like, oh, well, maybe it is a penalty. So I think I think the sort of the view of it has shifted. I think people, some people listening to this would be like, I think it probably was a penalty. And I don't say I don't want them to listen, but I want them to change their mind. Yeah, well, that's the point. I can reluctantly accept that within the framework of the laws of the game, as they're currently written down, you can defend that penalty decision. I think the wider point that we're addressing, and not for the first time on this podcast, is that the law is quite stupid and, and leading to outcomes that are not positive for the sport. Uh, right, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, begin with a victory for Manchester City. Fjellreven. 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 Wie auch immer du es aussprichst, Fjellreven ist eine Outdoor-Marke der anderen Art aus Schweden, die seit Jahrzehnten Nein zu faulen Kompromissen und flüchtigen Trends sagt und gleichzeitig hochwertige und besonders langlebige Ausrüstung herstellt. Erfahre mehr und besuche uns auf fjellreven.de. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, so we're on tour. Uh, we're in London on the 13th of November. Tickets still available. Ellis James, Troy Townsend, Filippo Clare joining me and Barry. Um, uh, Bristol sold out. Uh, Manchester still available. Tickets there for me, Barry, John Bruin, Nader Manua and the Will Unwin anecdote. Um, but because of Lars Sivertson and Nicky Bandini's quality, yes. Dublin is sold out. Uh, Lars uh, joining me, Barry and Jonathan Wilson and Brighton also sold out. Uh, me, Good Barry... Team. Nikki, yes, get it. It feels good, doesn't it, Nikki? Um, uh, me, Barry, Nikki, and Johnny Lou. That is live streamed around the world, so it can never sell out, Nikki, unless we sell seven billion tickets. Um, uh, the Guardian. Well, we must. Yeah, we, we must. must. We must, or we will never do this podcast again. Theguardian.com/slash FW Tour Twenty Three. Please, all of you, come. Um, and also next Tuesday at eight p.m. there is an online Q and A hosted by Robin Cowan. Uh, with me, Barry and Wilson, talking about the Football Weekly book. Go to theguardian.com slash footballweeklybook if you'd like to come along to that. Uh, right, Group G, uh, which has Leipzig, Man City, Red Star Belgrade and Young Boys. Uh, at the Etihad, Manchester City 3, Red Star 1. Another pretty relentless performance, Barry, from Manchester City. You can hold them for a bit. You could score against them, but they will come for you. Yeah, I mean, the, the Red, Red Star went to goal up in this game very much against the run of play 
their goalkeeper, Omri Glazer, had the game of his life. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic. And unfortunately for him, he was at fault for City's second goal. He came to punch a free kick, missed it, and it curled in inside the far post. And I felt for him because he was otherwise absolutely brilliant and almost single-handedly kept City at bay. They had chance after chance after chance. Yeah, City, relentless City, won 3-1, came from behind, won 3-1 and could have won by 8-9-10-1 because that is how good they are. I think the only, apart from going behind, the, the only moment of peril they had was when Ederson was, you know, he spent, I think he spent more time outside his penalty area in this game than he did in it. And uh, he came out to, to try and Cruyff turn some, somebody and the the camera cut to Pep on the touchline and he was sort of like, oh God, what's he doing? But um, it, it was a, a fantastic performance from City. Julian Alvarez was brilliant again and they brought on a player who I'd never heard of which Otto Bob you've not heard of Oscar, Oscar Bob, Bob. Yeah. Oscar Bob that's you, it you, 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 I've not heard, heard of Bob. Oscar Bob I, I believe he's a compatriot of yours Lars I'm very sorry you insult the Norwegians <laughs> yeah. yet again uh, <laughs> this will not stand Glendening uh, yeah it's like, who's this guy I had to I had to google him so uh, Oscar Bob Norwegian 20 year old someone with Bob on the back of their shirt does does look like someone who's paid to play in a chair, you know, <laughs> in an auction. Tell us about Oscar Bob then, Lars. Come on. Well, he's a, he's an attacking player. He grew up in Norway. Uh, was born and grew up in Norway, and we're we've been quite excited about him for a while. He showed sort of flashes of of good stuff with the Norwegian youth international teams, but you know, getting into the first team at City is hard. And, and at twenty, we're kind of hoping to see him more, playing more senior football uh, soon. And uh, there was talk that he might actually go on loan somewhere else this this summer, but that didn't happen. He stayed at City, and we're all very excited to see that he's involved with the first team, first team picture. Erling Holland's very positive about him, as you would imagine. But uh, yeah, Oscar Bob, uh, uh, definitely a man to watch. Is Rodri the best holding midfield? Because it feels Nicky like Rodri not only can do all the sort of boring CDM stuff, but can also just peerlessly wander in and effortlessly put one in the corner yeah i just feel like the scoring recently and he sort of just yeah as you say just sort of casually stroll up and just score a nonchalant brilliant goal is it's almost like insult to injury for everyone else it's like oh yeah okay but i can also do that on top i know you want me to talk about rodri but I, i sort of really want to talk about just how stinking ridiculous that first Alvarez goal was like the, the second touch yes I can't work out what his feet right do. like I was I was watching it and like I I, I genuinely sort of had a moment of like I, I don't understand that goal I need to watch it again and and I mean, you see how fast his feet move it's it's all unfair because you've got Erling Haaland doesn't even score in this game doesn't matter because you've got players who can make it just look as, as easy as that of course it was his assist on the first one but Rodri is is exactly as you say, Max. The fact that he gets those goals as well takes it to a, another another level. But I did think Alvarez in this game was was stunning, and and that goal was outrageous. Mm. Yeah, it's can't work. You know, it's real right when you see a goal that you can't quite work out. That's a, a sign of either obscene luck or utter brilliance, and this was the latter. Um, uh, Leipzig won three one away at Young Boys Lars. I mean, I, that's sort of not an unexpected result, I guess. We we presume Leipzig will get through this group and come second 
having been roundly beaten by Manchester City, but beating the others. Is that oversimplification of what's going to happen in this group? No, I think that's completely fair. And I think especially when they start out by by beating young boys away in the first game, that's kind of in terms of them securing that place in the group. That would be the the one you want to make sure you win. Um, so then they have to go away to, to, to Serbia, of course. It's Venezuela. That's ne- never an easy place to go, as the cliche goes. But they have a lot of really good footballers, Leipzig. So I think they'll be fine in the group, yeah. What one thing about this game, Zavi Simmons, who I'm a massive fan of since mm. seeing him and Cody mm. back play for PSV. I can't remember who they were playing against last season. They absolutely Arsenal I think. ran the show. Was it yes, it was Arsenal. They were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I don't think Gakpo's shown the same form since uh going to Liverpool, but you know, it's early days yet. Simmons now at RB Leipzig, but he's on loan from PSG, I think, and I just wonder why they can't find a place for them in their team. A PSG going to PSG, but I mean, Xavi Simons has had this sort of strange route to uh, to to stardom in the sense that you know he was on um, he was on the books at because he's been he was this sort of child prodigy. Everyone knew he was super talented. He was on the books at, at Barcelona for a long time. Basically, came through the the academy there, then went to Paris Saint Germain, which is like you, you can't. Your first team prospects at Barcelona are difficult. You want to go somewhere where you get to play. Ah, Paris Saint-Germain, that makes perfect sense. So he went there and and couldn't get in the first team. And he just really exploded on loan at PSV last season, like you said. And when he was actually put in a first team of some description and in the Dutch league, it's probably not a bad place for him to have that breakthrough either. He looked amazing, like you said. And there was, I believe there was a buyback clause in the contract from PSG, let him go to PSV, right? There was they after he had this amazing season in Holland, PSG could bring him back for I think it was six million euros or something paltry like that, and clearly they wanted him back. Mm. And not a lot of embroidery change needed, just a G. Exactly, a very simple from from yeah. uh, from PSV to PSG, and and so they had to have him back in the club clearly because he is one of the most sort of talented young players in Europe. So they brought him back to Paris, and I guess. They probably felt, okay, he's not going to play every week with us. He's really developing very well, playing regularly. So they, they've made him available for loan and he's gone to RB Leipzig. But it is it is not, maybe not an amazing uh, situation for the Bundesliga to be in that one of the most sort of super exciting young players in the league is, is on loan <laughs> from from someone else. But uh, great player, fun to watch. Yeah, Arsenal playing PSV, of course, in the, in the Champions League tonight probably or depending on or have already played them depending on when you're listening to this uh, Carl says it's going to be a long European campaign for Celtic isn't it Barry Awesome says who had two red cards in five minutes on their Scottish club in Europe bingo card uh, yeah a 2-0 defeat at Feyenoord for Celtic they had two players sent off one pretty harshly um, for a second yellow in the box I thought and one really could have been about eight red cards <laughs> uh the 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 second one um i believe another norwegian so i would argue that that was clumsy rather than malicious i think that's an attacking Fair, player's okay. tackle who isn't ex- isn't clever enough with his tackling to realize if you stick your leg up that high you're going to get all the red cards like you need to you can't do that with your leg but i don't think he went out to hurt him even though of course his name is odin uh, which is famously the god of both uh, war and death, which I think was very much expressed uh, through through that challenge. Through the medium of two-footed challenge. What did you make of Celtic, Beth? I thought it was sort of a classic Celtic performance in the Champions League insofar as they started quite well, couldn't score, uh, then blunderbussed themselves in the foot and ultimately lost against a team they should be competing against 
or should should be giving a better account of themselves against obviously when you're down to nine men that's it you're done i did think the lager um sending off was harsh as well i thought it was a penalty i don't think he deserved a yellow card for it um it was just a foul i, I didn't think it was caution worthy but Brendan Rodgers talked up his team afterwards, said cited their inexperience, said they did very well, and I, I didn't think they were as good as he claimed they were. But and Celtic fans are a bit annoyed, I think, because I think their finance, their accounts were made public recently, and they've seventy million sitting in the bank, and fans are wondering, you know, why isn't that being spent on players? But it's going to be probably the usual for Celtic get knocked out in the group stages and win this Scottish Premiership at a canter. And where is the progress? Maybe Celtic and Rangers should join the Premier League. I'm only kidding. We're not having <laughs> not, not having that conversation. Uh, Lars, your hand was raised. Not really. I was just scratching myself, Max. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> like your dog. It's like owner like dog, isn't it? Um, elsewhere in this group, uh, the moment of the night, Nicky, the Lazio goalkeeper, Ivan Provadal, scoring an absolutely brilliant... I mean, the header is quite short, but the run for the header is like a centre-forward, isn't it? In the 94th minute, they're 1-0 down to Atletico. It's an amazing moment, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's some, he's got some previous... Everyone's very excited about this because he scored one goal before for Juve Stavia. Um, but it was it was really interesting listening to... to that was four years ago, by the way. Um, but it was really interesting sort of listening to him sort of talking about it after his first goal because when you saw him do it, he scores... And he celebrates, but he doesn't celebrate like a goalkeeper who's just scored an equaliser in a in a Champions League game, does yeah. he? He celebrates like it's like, okay, well, I've scored a goal. I do that. Yeah. And then you sort of hear, heard him talk about it afterwards and um, saying, oh, well, I know Luis Alberto likes to, um, to put that ball to the back post and I've been studying Chiro Immobile's runs. I, I see those runs he makes. <laughs> and I mean... It, it wasn't completely by accident, right? Like it, it, he's, yeah. it, to say he would do it over and over again is is silly. But this is clearly someone who's been paying attention. It wasn't just like oh, I'll just run in there and, and see what happens. This is someone who, despite playing in goal, had had watched enough of how the attackers move to think there's a space and I'll attack it. And I mean, good thing he did. As I, as I tweeted last night, um, I apologise as well to everyone who listens and thinks why she always banging on about the Italian teams but it, it is my job to cover the Italian teams and I'd been watching Milan and then watching Lazio between them they'd had 42 shots and the only player who managed to put one in the back of the net was the goalkeeper <laughs> you're so right I, I, I literally punched the air when I saw that tweet that is a good yeah. tweet yeah yeah but but he's he, not only that he's the only Lazio player who's making any sort of attacking run yeah. every yes, other player all the other players who so should have should have been doing something are all just on their heels going on and and you're right most goalkeeper goals are just they Peter Schmeichel happened to be standing there right you know or maybe I don't know if that's harsh on Schmeichel but like this one is just it is it's as good as sort of Lewandowski. That, like, it's that kind of run, Lars. Yeah, now I was actually holding my hand up, not scratching myself. Um, I was just thinking, is there any talk in, <laughs> in Italy, Nicky, about, like, has he played as a forward in his youth days or something? Because that wasn't, again, it was, it's not the header, but the run, that was not the attacking run of a goalkeeper. Like, he, he seemed to know what he was doing there. Yeah, I think he played some centre forward, actually, like, 
relatively late up to the age of like um 15 obviously he's he's 29 now so it's not like this is yesterday it's it's half his life ago but but as a teenager he did play some center forward so he, he has got I suppose some some context in that perhaps not quite a Champions League game against Atletico Madrid he is the fourth goalkeeper to score in the Champions League uh, no one had done it for 13 years when Vincent Eniyama scored for Hapoel Tel Aviv against Lyon in 2010 Sinan Bolat scored for Standard Liège uh, in 2009, and there have been three other goals scored in the Champions League, all by Jörg Butt for Hamburg against Juve in 2000, for Bayer Leverkusen against Juve in 2002, and for Bayern Munich against Juve in 2009. <laughs> now, I, I obviously, I, I, this guy is sort of, I don't know why, I'm, I can't believe I had not heard of, you know, we've all heard of, uh, you know, you know, goalkeepers who scored goals a lot. Schillever, of course, uh, who did it a bunch of times. But he was known for taking penalties. He scored 19 goals for Hamburg in 133 games. I mean, that's not a bad record for a midfielder, is it? 32 career goals. Um, <laughs> do you know more about Jörg Butt, Lars? Well, no, I just that he took penalties, basically, is the thing. But I, I also, I'm, I might be imagining this, but I'm almost certain that he once missed one and they went down the other end and scored. But I have to look that up, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that happened once because that is the danger when you do the goalkeeper. Ah, goalkeeper taking penalty is so funny. Like you, do, you really do want to score in that context. Things get really dangerous really quickly if the if the goalkeeper saves. What were what the expectations for Lazio? Hard to say because because obviously they, they finished second last year, which is, is, is should set a high bar for you, but they've sold, um well, um, Milinkovic Savic in the summer and this team was really built around Milinkovic Savic. Kamada was the player sort of notionally brought in to, to do some of that attacking midfield job that he used to do um, but very very different kind of player. Ends up being the unfortunate one who's the ball deflects off him for the goal that's your concede in this game um, and so far in Serie A they, they haven't started well. They got a, um, a good win against Napoli but other than that they've lost three games out of four um, and it, it really feels like there isn't a plan for what the identity of this team is without Milinkovic Savage. Milinkovic Savage was such a sort of, I don't know, a centre of gravity in that team because he's not just a creative player, but he's a big, physical, tall player and you can really pivot your attack around him and, and he's just not there anymore. And now it's like Luis Alberto, who frankly is often not seen eye to eye with Maricia Sari, is now supposed to be the one that all the creative things happen through. I haven't had particularly high expectations for Lazio. I looked at the, the draw for the group stage and thought, well, the, the draw might see them through because other than Atletico, they, they should be the clear second favourites in this group, even though Feyenoord have had some quite good years in Europe. Obviously, they've got Atletico in this first game at a time when Atletico were missing a lot of players, um, actually, and they still weren't very convincing. Atletico weren't great either, I didn't think, but Lazio, exactly as we were just saying, didn't really create scoring chances, didn't really have attackers piling into the box most of this game and I, I don't I don't have high hopes that Manitia Sadi is going to, to fix that because he hasn't really shown a plan B so far um, but at the same time on paper getting this draw against clearly the best and, and most Champions League sort of experienced team in your group is not a terrible place to start. Yeah I being the, the speedy Googler that I am, I took the time to look up what was that half-remembered Hans-Jörg Butt thing. And I, apparently... Oh, yes. It was even funnier than missing it and then conceding down the end. And he scored and then took too long celebrating and was not back in his goal when, when the opponent kicked off. So it was against Schalke in t- 2004. 
he dawdled getting back into his goal. The, the opposition took a quick uh, kickoff and uh, whacked it in from the halfway line, basically. So that, that put it back to basic. Apologies for this short uh, interruption with some, some Hans-Jörg Butt news. No, no, no. It was absolutely vital. And I'm glad we've got it before the end of part two. Part three will begin at the new Camp. Fjellreven. 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 Egal wie du es sagst, Fjellreven ist die etwas andere Outdoor-Marke aus Schweden. Eine, die seit 1960 zeitlose Outdoor-Ausrüstung herstellt und dabei keinen Trends nachläuft oder irgendwelche Abkürzungen nimmt. Erfahre mehr und besuche uns auf fjellreven.de. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Barcelona in Group H um, hammered Antwerp at 5-0. Jao Felix, producer Joel wrote, rolling back the years. I said, can you do that if you're 23 years old? But you sort of feel like he could. He was, Barry, he was brilliant in this game. He reminded me, you know, a farmer will, will have his cattle in, in the barn for the worst of the winter and they're cooped up for weeks and weeks and end. And that's sort of like how Felix at Atletico. And then come spring, <laughs> the, the barn doors are thrown open and the cattle see this vast expanse of green in front of them and they gamble out and gallop and buck and jump around and they're so overjoyed at being let out of this confined space where they've been standing in their own filth for weeks on end. And I, that's what Joe Felix reminded me of last night, seeing him in Presumably in s- slightly less methane coming yeah, off Joe Felix, well, you'd I, hope would, so. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. he was, he's, I mean, such a wonderful player, and it's so nice, Lars, isn't it, to see him being good. Yeah, no, I want to add another animal-based metaphor to the very, very beautiful work by Mr. Glenn Denning there. It reminded me of when I first adopted the dog, and, and for the first couple of months I was terrified of her running away, so I wouldn't let her off the lead in the park. And then after a while, some of my friends down the park, we were walking in the evening, and they were like, it'll be okay. Like, if she legs it, we'll all help get her back. And so the first time I took her off the lead in the park, she just bolted around like a complete lunatic for 10 minutes straight. That, again, very much like the sort of happiness and freedom with which uh, Juan Felix is taken to uh, to life at Barcelona. And it just makes me think, like, he's been... He's got such a strange career, Rao Felix, because he only really played one season at first team level for Benfica when he came through as a as a teenager, and everyone went, "Wow, like this guy has got something really special." Then he goes to Atleti for a huge transfer fee, and we've all known for years that Atleti, Diego Simeone's Atleti, is not the right for, place for him for the type of player he is for what he wants to do on the field. It's just not a good fit, and we've been kind of waiting. It's been four seasons when we've been kind of waiting for him. Maybe Atleti will change. Maybe he will adapt, and we're just constantly seeing flashes of brilliance, but nothing consistent. Then he goes somewhere else, and the place he goes is Chelsea, like mid-meltdown <laughs> Chelsea. Probably not the best place for this happy cow or dog, depending on how you look at it. And uh, <laughs> but, but now, whatever we say about Barcelona and their sort of reckless pulling of levers... There's a lot of good attacking players in this team. And and finally, he's at a place where maybe he can play the kind of football that maybe he should have been playing all along. And it looks tremendous. Duncan Alexander's tweet. Uh, four of Jao Felix's last seven club goals have come in stadiums that have hosted the Olympics in Danny Ing's lifetime. Is Richard Jolly on holidays? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the, the point is you look at 
You look at that Barcelona side, Nicky, and I mean, it's obvious, it sort of feels obvious to say, but they won the league by quite quite convincingly last year. They've got a really great squad, and actually, they're sort of in this transition. You know, Busquets and Pique and all these guys. I've Messi a while ago have gone, and now they've got this sort of different a different setup. And you look at Real Madrid as well, slightly changing that midfield and Bellingham coming in. A, it makes you think the La Liga title race, which I presume you're not going to watch every minute of, but, you know, it's going to be great. But these two sides could have a real impact in this competition. I know I said it before about Italian football. I do try to watch, not just Italian football, definitely watching um, the league as well this season. And it, it feels like Barcelona have certainly sort of, I think, rehabilitated a, a bit of a messy situation quicker than might have been expected with all the levers being pulled in the last couple of years. But it also feels like this is a team for whom the window, at least for this version of the team, doesn't last forever because you have still got Lewandowski um, leading the line in that team. You have got Gundogan in that team. They aren't all sort of... Um, it's a different picture to, for instance, when we talked about a PSG, where you look at the front half of that team and go, wow, that's actually a whole young team you've got up there. Of course, in that case, one that still won't last because Mbappe will probably still leave. But in this case, you, you've got a couple of players who are probably looking at maybe not their last hurrah, but who are certainly looking to take advantage of every moment they've still got. And it's hard to draw big conclusions from this game. I mean, Royal Antwerp, uh, uh, with respect, uh, are going to be one of the teams that, that struggle in this competition, I think. And I don't think that would surprise anyone. Um, but yeah, if, if Joao Felix can play as well as he's capable of and finally sort of look like a player who is given that, I guess that freedom that he needs to express himself as, as well as he can. If Lewandowski at 35 can still score goals as effectively as he has through his whole career, then yeah, there's there's lots in this team to like. Porto won 3-1 uh, against Shakhtar. Uh, that game played in Germany. Um, Porto should come second in this group, you imagine, Lars. But it, it is always worth remembering This is it's not even easy for Shakhtar to get to their home games, is it? No, I mean, this game was played in Hamburg in uh, Hamburg HSV Hamburg Sportsfans uh, Stadium and you know it's, it's I think it's just a, a, just an incredible show of resilience that Shakhtar still has a team that's capable of being in the Champions League um the, the league is c- carrying on in Ukraine it's still being played but of course behind closed doors because you can't exactly get a big crowd into a stadium safely these days and you get games interrupted by air raid sirens and all this sort of stuff is happening uh, but they're playing on and you know, to get to this game, you can't just hop on a plane. Not a lot of civilian flights out of Ukraine at the moment for for very obvious safety reasons. So you have to get a bus all the way to all the way to Poland and get past the border and all that. And it's it's an ordeal, obviously. But but they're still there, and and the fact that they're competitive and that they're in the Champions League group stage, I, I think, is uh, fantastic. And of course, they didn't get a result here, but they weren't humiliated. And um, yeah, um, hopefully, hopefully. Um, a source of, of pride and, and inspiration to the people uh, back in Ukraine, you would imagine. Clark says, a nod to Preston North End and Ipswich Town. Steve says, is Susanna Hoffs aware of Ryan Lowe's Preston? Impressive start to the season. Um, yeah, Preston flying, aren't they? Top of the championship, Ipswich just behind them. Nick Ames writing, uh, left St Mary's. This was after um, Ipswich's won and win at Southampton with the biggest smile. No idea how far Ipswich can go, but they have I increasingly suspect the best manager outside the Premier League and he is getting every drop physically, tactically and technically out of these players. It's incredible to see. Uh, Andy says Cheltenham have played eight league games and scored naught goals. 
I presume this is a record for the start of the season. Imagine when Cheltenham score their first goal of the season. But that is really mightily impressive. Uh, friends of the show, Not the Top 20 pod, uh, said on their Monday show they're the only side in the top 10 tiers of English football not to score a league goal so far this season, which is 1,070 teams. Uh, all have at least one in the four column, except for Cheltenham. Uh, Daniel says, not a question, and I don't even care if it warrants no further conversation at all. But please just mention Reading winning 9-0 in the EFL trophy. We have done so. They beat Exeter. Uh, Terry says, does Barry know who Billy Sharp is currently playing and scoring for? I do. Would you like to tell us? He is currently playing and scoring for LA Galaxy. And he scored a very... A very good goal against the other Los Angeles team, LAFC. A sort of Zidane-esque turn in the penalty area and and fired past the keeper. But yeah, he's quite an unlikely uh, glamour signing for LA Galaxy, but he seems to be having the time of his life over there. And he, uh, Billy Sharp, he, he must be getting towards 40. He's been playing for at least 20 years. I'm going to say Billy Sharp is 36. Six. I'm calling thirty-seven. Thirty-seven, correct. One point to Lars. Um, ah, he, he looks a lot. He, he looks an old thirty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, on the subject of uh, Luton possibly getting naught points this season, not meant in a patronising way, I insist. <laughs> um, Aaron says in reply to the chat about low points totals on the pod, I'd argue the most objectively funny total is not zero in a season, but three. Still terrible. Feel absolutely awful by the end. But imagine the banter and the singing any time you play that one team you beat from now until the end of time. It's a very, very good point. Uh, Kieran says, uh, a correction is required on the use of Viagra from the last episode. It is linked to increased blood flow, oxygen and energy supply to working muscles as it does not increase arousal if exercise begins shortly after. So if you take Viagra and then you go for a run you won't be as inhibited as we all presumed you would be on the previous podcast. I I heard a possibly apocryphal story. I'm not going to name the player in question because, uh, well, for various reasons. <laughs> but uh, I think it was a Newcastle player when Bobby Robson was in charge, uh, rather overdid it on the old Viagra and was unable to go out to train because of an unseemly um, bulge in his shorts, which may have, A, elicited much laughter from his peers and, B, impaired his ability to run and train generally and do do rondos, let's say. Neil says, after decades of sponging great content for free from The Guardian, I finally signed up to a monthly subscription to pay my bit. The first thing I hear after this, as I'm catching up on Football Weekly, is Max talking about bin bags like erect swords and Robin advising me to order whatever the largest person at the table is ordering. If that isn't going to encourage others to subscribe, I don't know what is. Um, And James says... I'm a huge fan of the pod. I'll be attending my third live show in London in a few weeks' time. I'm getting married this weekend to my wonderful partner, Jess. I just wondered if you could please ask Barry in his own inimitable style to wish us luck. Also, we're going to Oslo for our honeymoon. So if Lars happens to be on the pod, please ask him for his suggestions. Uh, So Lars first, uh, suggestions for James and Jess on their Oslo-based honeymoon. It's terrible. I've spent almost no time in Oslo in my life, so I'm the worst person to ask. But uh, send me a DM on Twitter and I'll figure something out for you. All right, there you go. Some direct travel tips 
on direct. I just, you know, there must be something there. You must know one thing in Oslo, Lars. Well, but I don't want to like try, uh, give myself off as an expert on what to see and do in Oslo when, I, very fair. frankly, I haven't been there that much. Like, if I went to Oslo now, I'd probably want to go to the big ski jump and and, and do the thing. <laughs> But uh, or, or you maybe go. you can get there like saunas. You can book it down by the harbors. You can go in a sauna and then jump into the water. That'd be pretty cool. There are a few stuff like that that I would want to do. But I don't know these guys that well. Maybe they want to do other things. You wouldn't want to actually do a ski jump, Lars. I can't. I can't. Uh, forgive me. I can't see you at the top of a ski jump. You, 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 you can. Well, no. I mean, I think for for a lot of. I've had my uh, disagreements with gravity <laughs> over the last eight months. So I'm not going to go through that again. Uh, but you can go to the top of the thing and look at the lovely view. And then there's a zip line, right. but again, I wonder if, if if that might be problematic for me for a number of reasons, but uh, maybe for these people. This, like, view at the top just has conjured, like, a cartoon image for me of, like, casually being at the top of the ski jump, and then, because it's a cartoon, someone knocks you, and the next thing you know, you're scooting down the ski yeah. jump. Yeah. And who's then our, death. Who's our, <laughs> ski, yeah, who's our ski jump friend, Lars? I forget. Halvor uh, Ganlu. Ah, that's it. Havar, uh, uh, always nice to have you hey, on Halvo, board. Um, I absolutely cannot fathom how you manage to do what you do for a living, Halvo, if you're listening to this. It's the nuttiest sport I can think of. It's just slide. Uh, um, <laughs> it's really not, Barry. This sounds like we need to put you on a ski jump and just see what happens. Barry, could you wish James and Jess a happy wedding and a happy marriage before we go? Yeah, I mean, Oslo seems a weird honeymoon destination it doesn't scream romance does it my abiding memory of the brief time i've spent in oslo is that everything is incredibly expensive so i would suggest just staying in bed and consummating their marriage for the duration um but i mean it's statistically proven i think that uh people with the same initial of the first name who get married it never ends well I think oh. only about seven percent of marriages between, like, say, James Jess, mm-hmm. last more than five years. So they're up against it at the moment already. But I'm sure they can, they can uh, prove the the odds wrong. <laughs> the naysayers, eh? <laughs> they, they, yeah, the naysayers. <laughs> the naysayers. I wonder if either of them are graphic designers. <laughs> we wish them luck. My memory of Oslo was that man at the end of the live show. We did a really, I thought, a really good live show. We're all standing. We, you know, hung around with the audience for hours afterwards. And right at the end, when you're in like a real fit of glee, surrounded by fans, and this one man, and I won't do a Norwegian accent, said, tonight's show is the reason why I listen to the Totally Football Show. It's <laughs> like, all right. Cheers, mate. <laughs> we didn't talk enough about Arsenal's tactics that evening and we are unlikely to at the live shows if you come to watch them anyway that'll do for today thank you Barry thanks Max thanks Lars thank you Max thank you Nikki thanks Max Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. Britney's getting divorced Lizzo's in hot water and I am still not over Barbenheimer there is so much to catch up on But don't worry, The Guardian's pop culture with me, Shantae Joseph, is back. We'll go beyond the gossip with smart takes on the latest pop and internet trends. If it's got you talking, I have got you covered. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Guardian.